This week I have updates for you on the cases in two podcasts we've previously done episodes on. I'll update you and then the rest of this cast will be the entirety of the original episodes. Firstly, in I Am Not Nicholas, we listen to Jane McSorley, a journalist originally from Belfast and now living in Edinburgh, investigate the case of Arthur Knight, or is that Nicholas Rossi? Rossi is an American and someone who is wanted for rape and domestic abuse in America. It came to police attention that he was living in Glasgow under an assumed name, Arthur Knight, when he was committed to a COVID ward. At the time that I Am Not Nicholas was released, he was fighting extradition to the US, claiming that it was a case of mistaken identity. During McSorley's investigation, she wavers in her beliefs about who Knight Rossi is. However, his cliched Frank McCourt-like descriptions of his life as an orphan on the mean streets of Dublin helps her finally come down firmly on the side that Knight is indeed Rossi and is trying to pull the wool over everyone's eyes. A sheriff in Edinburgh also ruled he was indeed Rossi, his stories of tattoos exactly the same as Rossi's having been added to his arms while unconscious in hospital as an attempt to frame him apparently did not convince anyone. It's hard to understand if Rossi really thinks everyone around him is stupid or if he believes he is some kind of master of disguise like Sherlock Holmes. It is, however, now America's problem to deal with The case itself is so strange and unusual that I suspect it will keep on bobbing to the surface of the true crime genre. I suspect a book, a TV drama and many, many more podcast episodes will be produced to wonder just how much of a fool Rossi takes us all for. Secondly, we have Down the Hill, a really excellent podcast which sets out the murder of Liberty German and Abigail Williams, two young teenagers from Delphi, Indiana, who went for a walk in February 2017 together one afternoon and sadly were found murdered. What stood out to many people is that the girls had the presence of mind to use a phone to record a tall man as he was walking towards them, giving us a blurry picture of him and a piece of audio of him saying, down the hill. This meant that police were hopeful they could capture the girl's killer with help from the public. The podcast expertly parsed apart the timeline, what was known of the murder scene and a profile of the killer based on what we know of his behaviour. At the end of last year, the Indiana police announced they had someone in custody for the killings, Richard Allen. Alan has pled not guilty. Hopes were high among Delphi and the true crime community that there might be some justice for Abby and Libby. Alan's trial was due to be held in March of this year but has been postponed. Alan is currently claiming that he did not murder Libby and Abby despite it being reported that he confessed to his wife in a call from prison and is instead insisting the murders were committed by a pagan cult. The cult apparently worships Odin. 
Odin is a leading figure from Norse mythology and has been co-opted by right-wing extremists and white supremacists in America. There were apparently branches and sticks left at the murder scene which resemble Norse runes. If anyone has taken a look at the straight-line jaggy runes, it would be possible to throw a bundle of sticks in the air and probably at any point find a rune in the way they fell together. Then another twist which has delayed the case. Photos of the crime scene have been leaked, one of which is supposed to show a rune smeared in blood on a tree near the bodies of the girls, as well as graphically showing the bodies of Libby and Abby. It was found that the leaker was a friend of Alan's public defenders. He visited his friend in his offices, saw the photos and took pictures of them and sent them on to someone else. That someone else then sent them on to another someone and it ended up in the hands of two podcasters. The source of the leaks was found and the person he sent them on to committed suicide when he heard there would be a police investigation. And as a result, Alan's defenders, although not having personally leaked, stood down from the case. As Alan now needs new defenders, the court case against him that was due to start in January has now been postponed. The Delphi case is no more than just a search for justice. It has become a cautionary tale about what happens when the justice system and internet connectivity collide. And that does not even begin to encompass the distress that it must have caused Libby and Abby's families to know the pictures were out in the world for anybody to look at. Following now are the two episodes which covered both the original podcasts on these cases. But if you want a deeper dive into the recent happening in the Delphi case, then I would recommend checking out True Crime Garage. You are listening to True Crime Fiction, feeding your addiction to the best of the written and the spoken word in crime. If you would like to support the podcast, you can do so for as little as £1 at patreon.com slash truecrimefiction. We all have an identity. It is what makes us who we are as individuals. It can be made up of a combination of physical traits, personal traits, style, attitudes, but it can also be found lodged in the small things we do, which often go unnoticed by others. It is not fixed and it changes and matures as we ourselves grow. Who we were in one decade is unlikely to be who we are in another, and yet it is in a way tethered to ourselves because the past of all these parts of us does not change. However, some people are so uncomfortable with who they are that instead of trying to pursue personal growth in the present to create a better future, they take what possibly appears to be an easier route by instead erasing their past. 
It is this which is at the crux of I Am Not Nicholas, a podcast by Audible and Jane McSorley, who was also part of the team who brought us death at Deep Cut. The subject of the podcast is the heroically named Arthur Knight, a resident of Glasgow who, recovering from COVID in hospital, was going to be extradited to the US to answer for the crimes of Nicholas Rossi. Knight and his wife Miranda invited McSorley into their home, where it at first seems like a cut-and-dried case of mistaken identity, when Knight shows her his bare arms, which on Rossi were tattooed. An oxygen mask he uses to breathe covers his face, making identification tricky, but the tattoo appears like conclusive proof that Knight is someone very ill, who is sadly being hounded by others. However, the story is not as simple as it first appears. McSorley notices small details which don't add up, especially around Knight's romanticised version of his childhood as an orphan on the mean streets of Dublin, which sound like an extract from a Frank McCourt book. McSorley begins to dive deeper into the Knight and Rossi story. In Rossi, we find a troubled child with a lack of stability and structure who has a legal case for abuse in foster homes in the US settled out of court. But also, he is a child and young person who appears to make those around him uncomfortable. A kind of unidentifiable sense and intuition that people had which could not be explained with any kind of logic but did make them back off from him. Perhaps they were right. As it turns out, Rossi was a controlling and manipulative domestic abuser and also assaulted women. The controversy and uneasiness surrounding him carries right up until his death, an event you would think would put questions to bed, but oddly it still carries on. The request from his widow, whom no one ever heard of before, for his requiem mass and obituary are strange, egotistical even, not the behaviour of a grieving wife who has two previously unknown children from Rossi to look after during a traumatic time. Back in Scotland, Knight's behaviour is also becoming more strange, devolving into threatening McSorley, which appears to be part of his MO when things don't go his way. There are hearings at the High Court in Edinburgh and press conferences arranged by Knight in hotels. But those who were interested in the Knight Rossi story begin to fade away as it becomes more obvious that Knight is indeed Rossi. McSorley herself also goes on a personal journey. Her heartstrings have been tugged by the ailing, pathetic knight. She's now embarrassed to have fallen for his lies and leaves no stone unturned in trying to find the truth, including confronting knight. McSorley, however, is guilty of nothing more than having sympathy for others, a trait which manipulators and con artists everywhere take advantage of. Just because part of who we are is used against us does not mean that we should reject that part of ourselves. This is indeed blaming the victim, even though the victim is ourselves. Far better we put the blame on Nicholas Rossi than try to harden who we are.
What remains unexplained is why Rossi created a new identity for himself. Sure, there was the need to escape the possible jail time that he faced in the US if extradited, but Rossi was hoodwinking and trying to fool people long before he left America. The sheer energy it must take to keep track of the lies, the half-truths and falsehoods, what you've said to who, to establish a whole persona must be gargantuan, a full-time job in itself. Looking back on what we know about Rossi's childhood, it is possible to see that his ability to slip into a new identity and to twist the truth to his own needs is possibly because the tumult of his childhood left him with an identity that was so poorly formed and so egregious that slipping out of it must have felt easy. He possibly even received a thrill from pulling the wool over the eyes of the establishment and controlling the narrative. At least for a time. It is here that the night Rossi story touches on something fundamental about ourselves. Our ability to change, to evolve, to grow is not something that we can force. Paradoxically, in one lifetime we will live many lives, but those have to come to us naturally, like an unfurling. Sometimes, or that should possibly be often, it can be outside factors which are the catalyst for change. The shockwaves of these have to be gone through in the right order at the right time, and all while trying to keep yourself steady. Even an unremarkable life can have the emotional charge of an adventure movie, each lesson learned along the way precious. Rossi, faced with the horror of himself and the great chasm between that and where he wanted to be, took the less patient route. The one that meant along the way he did not care what damage he did, instead careering into a new identity which he could never fully own only ever borrow. True crime is at its best when it illuminates the truth, and given the nature of true crime, those truths are often unpalatable. Down the Hill covers the murder in 2017 of friends Abby and Libby, who were 13 and 14 years old, respectively. They went for a walk one day in February near their hometown of Delphi, Indiana, and were later found murdered. As any case which involves the taking of young lives, the senselessness and tragedy is palpable throughout the podcast, which slowly takes the listener through the search, the police work and theories about the crime. What has made this case and the podcast so interesting to the true crime community is that Libby had the presence of mind to record the killer on her phone, so the police have both video and audio of the suspect, as well as what we're told is a lot of physical evidence. However, so far, no one has been caught. 
It is here that we come to the first unpalatable truth that this podcast uncovers, that the blanket of technology, while helping us to feel more safe and less anxious, is not necessarily able to save us when the worst happens. The second unpalatable truth, or possibly a sub-truth of the first, is that technology does not always make crime easier to solve. Real crime on the ground is not like CSI, and the blurry video and distorted sound makes it hard to really pin down anything about the suspect, which would differentiate him from any other tall, white, stocky male. The recording does, however, bring a hope that if they can pin someone to the murders, that the video will be instrumental in securing a conviction. The third unpalatable truth that the podcast brings up is that the enthusiasm of the true crime community itself has left something to be desired. There have been malicious tips, sending relatives side by sides of random people, wasting police time and trashing the families in the whole town of Delphi. There is a palpable anger from the people who knew Abby and Libby towards what they call Facebook detectives. This is the last unpalatable truth, and probably one the true crime community needs most to think on. Just because you feel like you are helping, does not mean you are actually helping. The road to hell is paved with good intentions and egos that need the propping up of doing good, which is why I wonder if this element around true crime is in fact inevitable, because human beings have always been driven by egos, even when, and probably especially when, they think they are being driven by some higher power, greater good, the pursuit of something righteous or justice, which as I get older, I start to believe more and more as an ideal which is only partially obtainable. We do, however, have control over what we do, and it is incumbent on all of the true crime community to stop contacting the relatives of victims with theories and possible leads. It is the job of the police to investigate, and any tips should go straight to them. Even though I feel more as time goes on that justice is not something we can all naturally expect when wrong has been done, Having listened to all of Downhill twice now, I sincerely hope some part of justice will be obtainable for Delphi. You have been listening to True Crime Fiction, the podcast that is feeding your addiction to all things crime. You can find our website at true-crime-fiction.com, on Twitter at true underscore crime underscore fic, on Facebook and Instagram as True Crime Fiction. Please rate and review on the podcast app of your choice. Music is by Kitty Kitty Meow Meow.